Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 56. Christmas. I said Merry Christmas. They're they're winning that war, man. Everybody down here says Merry Christmas, and every time it wakes me out. Like I, I, I've been saying Happy Holidays for my whole life, and man, those conservatives are guilt tripping everyone. All the like vendors and everything here, they're like Merry Christmas, and I'm like, I guess it's fine. I mean, you know, whatever. But it really does kind of, you know kind of upset me that they're winning that war i liked happy holidays heaven forbid we be polite and inclusive right whoa crazy liberal political start today sorry about that we'll we'll move on we'll move on how's it going how's your holiday going i'm very excited this will be the last podcast of the year the last podcast of the decade right i think in the old days somebody around the turn of the century somebody like would try to protest that no 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 99 into zero or nine into ten are not the ends of decades or centuries it's actually zero into one and everybody's like nah bro we're good so now i think we all agree that they end in the nines and the new ones start in the zeros which is really exciting we're gonna be in the 20s i mean the last two decades have sucked because we didn't know what to call them right like we just got through 20 give yourself a pat on the back we just got through 20 years of not knowing what to call decades. We kind of got like with the aughts or the noughties, but that never really caught on in the, in the, in the aughts or noughties. And then the tens, we just, we just ignored the problem, but we can say the twenties now. And I bet this isn't going to have like profound ramifications on pop culture because we're sort of post post culture anyway, like seventies, eighties, nineties. I wonder if there's going to be any retro like nostalgia for the, the aughts and tens. And do they call them the tens? I guess they call them the tens, the 19. 19- 1910s we you know we had a problem back then too what's it gonna do to nostalgia in a world where like all types of music are popular and no types are unpopular it'll be interesting to see what happens with the kids that grew up in these two decades they're gonna have a nostalgia moment they're gonna be the cool kids in like five ten more years and what happens when they go to urban outfitters and they need like cool retro stuff are they just gonna stick to the 80s and 90s there is a chance they're just gonna stick to the 80s and 90s and those are the last decades but i don't think that's what's gonna happen i think they're gonna be into like the tens and the aughts and they're gonna figure out what to call them and by the 30s (laughs) and 10 years when we're still doing this podcast and we're still listening they will have figured out what they're calling those two decades and we haven't figured it out now and it will be retroactively applied and kids will be like oh my god what were you doing in the noughties i'll be like well i was I wasn't calling them the freaking naughties, I'll tell you that. Uh, anyway, that'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I have been on vacation for like a week now. Well, maybe more. What's today? Saturday? Yeah, week. Week today, actually. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I got another week to go. More than a week, actually. <laughs> it's kind of long. It's freaking me out. Uh, I've been doing a bunch of stuff, you know? I, I like to stay productive. I mean, some of the stuff would be of debatable merit in productivity like depending on your view of productivity but i view productivity as kind of like you know devil's work will make idle hands like except for in a secular way because i don't believe in the devil apologies to my friend nick who teaches a class on the devil 
I don't think Nick believes in the devil either. He just teaches a class about it. Anyway, uh, you know, I like to stay busy because it keeps me from getting depressed. And so I've been staying busy, even on my vacation, if you can call certain things, staying busy. I have a library. I don't know if you know about my library. I think you know about my library. I got this cool library. It's got like 120 shelves and it's not that big. It's only like a 10 by 10 room, but it's awesome. It's just floor to ceiling shelves all the way around all four sides with a desk and a nice leather old man chair. But you know what? It's a bitch to dust. And, uh, I shouldn't tell you this, but the library has a secret door, and when I was first getting the whole thing built, uh, the the contractors kind of left the room behind the secret door unfinished a little bit, and so I had to do some of the final spackling and, and painting, which is fine. I like doing that stuff when they did all the hard stuff, but I made a mistake, and I used to a belt sander on my dry spackle to smooth it down, and it just immediately, the bag came off, and it blew dust all over the library, which had been already set up with everything on the shelves intricately. This is like a year and a half or two years ago. It was right before Jane was born, actually, so more than two years ago. And I did a very half-acid dusting at the time, and I've never done it. And I've just known in the back of my head I needed to redust all 100 shelves. And I have mostly done it. I have about four shelves left. And each shelf, you know, the bookshelves are fast. You can take all the books off and just dust it and put the books back and take like a minute or two. But a lot of the shelves are like knickknacks and curios and things, and you have to take all of them off, and you have to dust the shelf, you know, like dry dust, wet dust, dry. And then each of the curios, you got to dust and put it back. It takes hours. It's been, it was interesting. I did one day kind of out of the blue. I don't know why all of a sudden after procrastinating on this project for two years, I was like, I'm going to do it. But I did one day and I was going to bed. I think it was the first day of my vacation. It was about eight days ago now. And I was like, that was really satisfying. I feel like I just lived the perfect day, you know, like kind of like uh, Harry Potter on the Felix Felicitas potion. I was going to bed. I was like, I spent a lot of time with my baby and I did a really industrious project and I, I, I contributed no evil to the world. And you know, I just felt really good about it. So I was like, I want to do that again. And I kept doing it. It was really great. So now it is mostly dusted. There's a couple more shelves, but also in the dusting, I did a lot of rearranging. So that was really nice. I could, I made more room in there cause it was getting pretty full. It's kind of absurd. I have a hundred shells and they're full, but I, you know, so, and I did a lot of Instagram storying. I mean, that you probably saw that if you're an Instagram story kind of person. So I got to tell you though, that was one of the most rewarding chores I've done in years. And I strongly recommend if you're ever in a mood, my friend Sean always says when he's in that sort of mood, he just he cleans his studio, but my studio is very clean. So I was like, uh, this worked out. It really, really, uh, staved off that black dog, if you will, if you, you know, some people get it really bad at the holidays. I'm not really that way. I would always like the holidays primarily because it means I don't have to work for a few weeks and I can drink so, <laughs> all the way back. I, my time hop is just filled with booze and drunkenness and hookups and messiness on except for the last two years, of course, or several. Well, the booze has been going on, but the hookups and messiness really died down when I had the kid. So, you know, the uh, last couple of years have been very wholesome time ops. It's been nice. But uh, yeah, let's see. So I've uh, got this like really long list of year end projects I do. And so I'll talk about them sort of throughout the podcast. But I've been working on those a lot the last couple of weeks. I've also been going to movies. That's another thing I like to do every holiday season. So we'll talk about the movies I've been seeing. I've been trying to go every day or see a movie every day. Um, and then, you know, just stuff like that. Uh, Discog stuff. We'll, we'll talk about it as we go through. And the other great thing about the holidays is seeing people, right? Seeing people's great. Our friends Nick and Megan and their son Henry came up from Wilmington. That was awesome. They're here for two nights. And Nick's like, kind of like me. He doesn't have a lot of like old friends in Wilmington. He's got new friends, you know. But so, we, we, you know, <laughs> we just got drunk. It was awesome. <laughs> 
two nights in a row. It was really great. Um, you know, I never drink here, especially in the house. I, I'll drink out. I'll probably have a glass of wine tonight at this dinner we're going to. But, uh, you know, just to really tie one on with an old friend is quite a privilege. It's a rarity these days when you get older, and it's, it's quite lovely. It's quite lovely. We had a good time. Now, the first night we were pretty far gone and Megan and consented they could stay a second night. And it was kind of like, really? You're going to do this another? But it was great. And then the second night was even better because my friend Helena and her husband Woody and their, their adorable daughter Sophie, who I talked about last year. I've talked about Nick too, but like exactly one year later from the year before Helena and Woody visited us again and that was great so the first year was very tame and this year Nick was over so we were really tying one on I mean you know Emma and Helena had some drinks Helena makes a Helena and Woody are the proprietors of House which is a a sort of a aperitif low ABV uh, alcohol for millennials that don't like to drink much but one of them is very sort of whiskey flavored so I kind of drink it in a different way I'm not a millennial I'm an Xer and so I was kind of explaining to Woody, I'm like, look, man, this is, in my mind is weak whiskey. I don't mix it with stuff. I drink it straight from the bottle, and it's like much lower ABV than drinking whiskey. And then that way, I, when I wake up in the morning, I feel better. Sorry about that. I had something caught in the back of my throat there. Anyway, I was trying to encourage them to make it uh, in six packs, little 1,200 bottles in six packs so I could just drink it like whiskey. It was great. It was a good time. My friend Tim Wayne came through town. He was on a road trip with his wife to New York from California, and we got barbecue. That was really great. Good, intelligent conversation. I've been blessed with good conversation in the last week or two since I last talked to you guys, and it's been lovely. Lovely. Christmas itself was lovely. We, uh, we're sort of still trying to establish our post baby holiday traditions because in the old days, our holiday traditions were like eat Chinese food, give each other presents and go out drinking when we were in Boston and New York. And then the last couple of years here, it was like give presents, eat Chinese food and like, I don't know, watch a movie or go to bed or something. So we're trying to like work it out and we've got it like halfway decent now. So we do the like sort of fancy formal Christmas meal. We do that on Christmas Eve with Janet. It's quite lovely. I made the whole thing again. Didn't go for a full turkey kind of just did a breast and then supplemented it with pork tenderloin only made one kind of stuffing pulled back on a couple of vegetables but we brought in some mac and cheese you know try to mix it up a little bit but still have a nice good meal vegetable heavy there's green beans and corn and beets and uh i'm forgetting at least two vegetables <laughs> oh the stewed carrots from the, the, in the roast in the pan and it's great. It's great. But, uh, and then on Christmas day, we go to, well, this year we went to their house, our friends, Tom and Christine, they have two kids that both have pretty intense allergies. We've been hoping they'd age out of them and some of them they are, but not all of them. So it's just easier for us to go to them because the house is clean. And then you just got to clean us versus coming here. And then like, God knows, you know, so we went over to their house and had some good, it was actually Thai. It wasn't Chinese, but I'm completely okay with that since I love Thai food. And, uh, that was great. And then we came home. Well, we did presents in the morning with Janet. That was lovely. Uh, I got everything I asked for, which was two things, slippers and some headphones. Uh, I own a lot of headphones. I have two pairs down here in the studio, three pairs. I only use two. And I've got my AirPods. But I wanted a pair of like noise-canceling Bluetooth headphones, big ones for bed. Because A, a lot of people own, you know, kind of like Dr. Dre kind. I didn't get Dr. Dre. I got Jabra. But, um... You know, when I was making my record, it was really hard to, like, listen to the album the way lots of other people would listen to it, right? I had my studio headphones down here. Uh, One pair is just, like, the standard Sony sort of, you know, universal in every studio 
uh, the, the Sony MDR 7506s, and then I got two pairs of the, the ghostly headphones. They're sort of a, a, a partnership with this company called AIAIAI or something like that. AIAIAI. Uh, the TMA ones, I got two pairs of those. They're so those are so they're like DJ type headphones, you know. So they're both great headphones, but they're like not what the average person would be like listening to records on. I got my AirPods, so that's like covers a lot of people, and I can listen in the cars and stuff like that. But I wanted like a pair, so I, when I finished my mixes at night and I was laying in bed, and I wanted a fresh listen, and so I just wanted you know some big headphones over ear noise canceling like everybody else has. And so Emma got me those, and they're great. I've been listening to them, and it turns out there's a lot of other great things. I can watch YouTube videos in bed, and it's it's kind of awesome. I, I don't know. I'm just very happy about them. And then I got slippers. Oh my God. I didn't have a pair of garbage slippers and my feet have been very cold ever since I lost a lot of weight. So that's been nice. I got these comfy new slippers. I'm wearing them right now. They really rule. Uh, I got Emma, Emma a couple things. I got, her, <laughs> I got her the Vans ghostly partnership because back when they came out in like I don't know, July, she's like, those look cool. So I got her those and they've been hiding for six months. And then, um, uh, what is the name of this retailer? So, it's this like a posh English retailer that makes like stylish women's clothing and they have a partnership with Julian Anderson here. Oh, hold on a second. I'll look it up. Windsor, London, W-I-N-S-E-R, not Windsor, like House of Windsor. Uh, anyway, they have this like cashmere sweater with Julian Anderson, the Julian Anderson co-designs. It's got her lips on it, this one. And it's like... Uh, Emma is a giant Jillian Anderson fan, but Windsor, London is a little pricey for what Emma likes to spend on her own clothing, and so it's kind of a perfect thing. The original is, if you're a Jillian Anderson fan, you may know this, but for the rest of us, let's go deep for a moment. Uh, years ago, for a charity thing, I don't know what charity, but you know the one that she supports as a celebrity, she put out a limited edition t-shirt with a print of her lips on it, and if you donated to the charity, this is probably 10, 20, 20 years ago, it was way before Emma and I were even dating, and that's been at least 10 years. So, Emma had has that shirt from way back when and then Jillian's never really released anything else like this until this really expensive Windsor London line of cashmere sweaters so I was like alright I'm gonna get this for Jillian did do a Windsor London line about three years ago two three years ago and I got her I got Emma a piece from that as well most of the stuff they do together like very London English trench coats and stuff like that uh, but the limbs jumper, lips jumper, it's called, is nice. And I was very excited. It's what she was, you know, what she was looking for. So that worked out well. You know, you get older. You try to, like, pleasantly surprise, but not so too crazy and out there. Things you know they want. Last year, I got her this Buffy the Vampire Slayer satin baseball jacket that she just loves that says Slayer on the back. So, you know, that was good. We did get uh, Jane presents, but at the same time, we're kind of like, this is the last year she's not really going to care, and so we shouldn't go too overboard because it doesn't really matter. She seems to have finally figured out how to open presents, so that was nice. She can open them, and she's kind of into, like, you know, opening the paper. Something that Jana got her was her favorite thing, which is just this carton of toy eggs, and she just loves it. Uh, I only got her, I got her, like, a little science girl kind of t-shirt, and then, oh, I got her. Oh, my God, it was hilarious. I got her the biggest cookie I could find. It was, like, literally the size of her head, and it was just a sugar cookie, and she just walked around with this giant cookie, and it left crumbs all over the house, and everybody was so annoyed, but it was so worth it. It was, like, the cutest thing in the world. Oh my god, it was so cute. I think that's all I got her. Oh no, I got her a stuffed hedgehog too, and it's very cute. Very cute stuffed hedgehog. But yeah, she she was cute. We took lots of pictures, sent them off to my parents. And then when we got home from Tom and Christine's, we FaceTime with my parents. So that was cool. I'm going up to Alaska in January. We'll see how that goes. Uh, got to see my dad. So that'll be, that'll be good. That'll be interesting. We'll talk about that when I get back, I guess. 
let's see. Other than that, really, all I've been doing is playing way too much Civilization VI. I've been obsessed with this YouTuber guy, Twitch guy, Potato McWhiskey, who's a very good Civ player. And there's this thing he did about six months ago where he did he won on the deity level with a single city. And I was like, my God, how did he do that? So I've just been watching his YouTube videos and trying to replicate it. And it's basically impossible. I'm actually in the middle of the game now with three cities where I think I'm about to win on deity. If I'm not going to win, I definitely proved its viability. But I have been trying every day for like 10 days to do it and it's like impossible i swear to god but i don't stop i don't stop that game is the worst habit i ever picked up i swear to god it's been like three years and i haven't gotten over it it's kind of a problem anyway moving on jane is a uh, great other than uh, let's see yeah she's great we did have an incident <laughs> i think it was the night i did my podcast i think it was last two weeks ago we were sitting upstairs and she was playing with my phone and i saw her do it she found a way to call 911 and i immediately grabbed the phone and just hung up on him but you know doesn't work that way so i get this number this call from an, un an unmarked pittsburgh number which is where our sheriff's office are and i'm like yep that was my baby i'm really sorry and he's like okay that's cool but you can tell it to the officer <laughs> he's still gotta come over i'm like oh god so the cop rings the doorbell and me, and I'm like, all right, Emma, you have to come down. You have to bring Jane so you can see I'm not like beating you guys or anything <laughs> and we're all fine. And, you know, he was polite and he did say he gets this a lot. So it's very frustrating. There's no way to disable it. On Emma's got an Android phone and it's hidden enough that a baby can't find it. But on iOS, it's unhideable and it doesn't you know i have back i have old phones i have a lot of old phones but uh i could give her a phone to play with that has no sim card in it it'll still call 911 there's no way to give a phone to a baby and just have it not do damage it's kind of like ugh, it's a mess and she can kind of learn to type now like she's really into pressing numbers and letters on phones and i did it at the computer I opened up a big uh, text edit document that filled the screen. I bumped up the text size to 128K and I put her, <laughs> 128 points. And I put her in front of me on the keyboard and I was like, press that the key right there. And she goes, N. And I like, look at the screen. And she looks, she's like, N. Wow. And then she started typing slowly. I tried to like do OK because she says, OK, OK. And I tried to like, and she knows the letters O and K. And I was like, see, OK, that's what you just said. OK, but that is not clicking yet. It is all rote memorization. But she does, you know, she can do the whole, all the letters, all the numbers. She can count to 20 or so. But she can't, she's not even, it's not clicking at what they are. They're just, they're like pictographs to her, right? She can be like one dog, two dogs. And like, or, you know, like, uh, let's say beans, they'll be three beans in front of her. She'll go one bean, two bean, three beans. And then you take one away and she goes four beans, five beans, six beans. It's like not real, but, but her conversation, I mean, she's got more and more words. It's pretty crazy. You can have whole, you can negotiate with her. You know, you know, we're focusing on sort of adjectives now, like before and after and green and yeah, especially before and after and wait. And then, you know, socks, then shoes, uh, diaper, then water, that sort of thing, you know? No, we're making progress. She's totally obsessed with cornbread. It's all she wanted to eat. And I made this giant skillet of cornbread for, I did one for Thanksgiving, but I also did one for, what do you call that holiday? Christmas, right. And she just loves cornbread. She's obsessed with it. So it's kind of amazing. She's kind of like me. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with cornbread, just the jiffy cornbread. And I was obsessed with hominy. A lot of people don't know what hominy is. And I don't know how I... Ended up being fed hominy. I think it's got to be a generational thing. One of my grandfathers or grandmothers, <laughs> grandfathers, who are we kidding? Grandmothers must have fed my, one of my parents hominy, and then they fed it to me. Hominy is corn soaked in a non-toxic lye. It's what they use in pozoles, and it's what they use to make hominy grits and some polentas. And 
Nobody knows what it is, though. It's really weird, but I just need hominy. Just, you know, it's like liquid popcorn. It's awesome. It's definitely not healthy. But, you know, I'm off the diet till January. So I'm really getting everything in. <laughs> um, and Jane just loves hominy. Oh, my God. She loves the hominy. And it's really fascinating. I'm like, wow, this is just passing down from generations. And I wish I could talk to my grandparents and find out where they got hominy and when they learned about it. Uh, I know that my mom's dad was in, in Central America for some time working on the... Uh, the Panama Canal, bomb-proofing it during the war and uh, or before the war. But I don't know. I don't know. It's really interesting. I mean, you know, around here, it's it's associated with Hispanic food, Latinx food. It's like in the in the you know the international section, the grocery store mostly. Sometimes it's with the corn in the can section. But yeah, I don't know, man. Why how, why was I eating hominy in Alaska? And Jane's just obsessed with it, so that's that's pretty cute. She's she's doing great. You know, people say the terrible twos they haven't hit yet, or I, I like to think we got through them when she was in her full on fits. But everybody's like, no, man, it's two and a three. You got and they're still coming. I'm like, I know, I know. It's calm before the storm, though. She's quite pleasant these days. It's really, really fun right now, and I'm super into it. This is, like, why people like babies. They don't really like babies. They like people, kids this age. They're like pets with emotions that can talk to you. It's amazing. And then she's going to turn into a person, which is why I wanted a kid. So I will be really into it, but I'm just enjoying this period while we have it. Oh, she just hugs me all the time. Oh, it's so cute. She goes, Daddy hug. She also points at her butts and goes, Bum, which is really cute. Whoa, 20 minutes, we're only getting to music. It's the holidays, I'm, I've got nothing to do. <laughs> I'm really just rambling on to you guys today. And it's going to get longer. This is a long one. Maybe I'll, uh, yeah, so let's just keep going. Discogs, I only sold one thing. I sold the New Order Retro Box Set. I had the special limited edition with the fifth CD in it. And uh, it was misgraded. I, I said it was near mint, but it was really very good. Plus had a slight creasing on the cover and he's like, I don't care, man. It's got the fifth disc edition. And I forgot that there was a fifth disc edition that was rare. And I was like, why is this box set? It cost so much money. It was good money. I sold it for like 40 bucks. That was pretty awesome. The only thing I sold though, since the last, uh, podcast, you know, holidays, I had a good ramp up to the holidays and then it just started to die off. But one of my end of the year activities was organizing all my Discog stuff. <laughs> Part of my completely anal end of year organizing. I go through and I add all the, uh, like I give feedback, like on eBay, you give feedback to the buyers and then I mark them. Oh, I forgot to do that. I got to go do that. I, I remove them from my collection. So I know I don't own them anymore. I forgot to do that step. I'll go do that today. And then I download the image of the cover and then I go into my iTunes and I organize that artist in iTunes and I make sure that the year and genre and number of discs and tracks is all correct on every release by that artist and that the artwork is correct. I do that by artist when I sell one by that artist. So my iTunes library is just too big to completely clean up on its own. So I've been doing it slowly over the years. And then I take the image and I put it in a folder that's called album art. And then I have a folder in my incredibly complex folder, photo, photo folder structure that is all my album art. And that feeds into my screensaver. So one of the many things that my screensaver shows on my screen are album arts. And it reminds me to listen to certain albums by older bands. Here, I'll take a pause and I'll do it. All right, that was great. It just showed me Sonic Youth, A Thousand Leaves, and I forgot how much I loved that album. And uh, Hal Hartley, a.k.a. Ned Rifle, the soundtrack to one of his films, Ned Rifle. And the Do They Know It's Christmas single. Ironically, don't need to hear that anymore this week. I'm good to go on that. 
and Kalima, which is a factory record sort of jazz band. And I think I do, you know, I think it's time to give Kalima another listen. So that's kind of all my, sh- my whole shtick is like, I ran a script on my iTunes once. Uh, there's this, you can script Apple script iTunes. I don't know if you still can with music in, in Catalina, but anyway, and it was extract cover art and it extracted the cover art to every record I had and put it in a folder. I did this about 10 years ago. It took days cause it was a really slow computer, but now I have a folder with thousands and thousands of cover arts of albums I own. And it's part of my screensaver. So it's a great way to just sort of remind yourself of music you own. So whenever I sell a CD, I put that image into the folder. That's part of my neurotic photo organization. So I did that and got my discogs all done. Didn't see any live shows. Still bitter I didn't get to go to that uh, Hold Steady show in Boston, New York. And then we almost went to see Health here, but we were both too tired. We are like, we could do it. Uh, yeah, screw it. It was Daughters and Health, and I love both those bands. And they played it. They are playing a Cat's Cradle 10 minutes away, but we were freaking parents, so we didn't go. Vinyl. <laughs> I kind of went a little overboard on vinyl. <laughs> we, uh, last week, we ate dinner at Med Deli, which is the Mediterranean deli down on Franklin Street in downtown Chapel Hill. It's like an institution, and uh, apparently I'm in Cat's Cradle. It used to be in the basement. Kind of crazy. And I across the street is the record store in Chapel Hill. It's not it's now called School Kids. It used to be called CD Baby and it was it was there the first time I came to Chapel Hill in like ninety two and it's still there and so I have a nostalgic attraction to it. And I don't really go there that often. But somebody just sold an amazing collection and it, he hadn't he only got one box of it out so far. But there were all these Kate Bush 12 inches in really good condition. And so I bought uh, the Big Sky 12 inch with the meteorological mix, Wuthering Heights, two different Wuthering Heights 12 inches, one with Experiment 4 on it and one with the original and a couple of remixes. With, and uh, Under the Ivy, which is my favorite Kate Bush song. I only have it on the running up that hill to what, 7 inch, so that was very exciting. And uh, Jig of Life, which I love, different version from the one on the album. And then the Central World 12-inch with a really long, weird instrumental remix. Just, you know, typical 80s weird remix 12-inches, but they're just gorgeous, really good shape. So I was really excited about that. And about the DC Fontaine's new album when I was there, Dog Roll, which I already listened to and I love. And I bought uh, The Visitors, my favorite Alba, ABBA album, a Swedish pressing. Ironically, when I go home, I realize I already own that Swedish pressing of The Visitors by ABBA. So now I own two. So if anybody wants a copy of ABBA's The Visitors, their best album on vinyl, original Swedish pressing, let me know. Maybe I'll send it to you. Uh, and then there was a Nick Cave, the Bad Seeds, live at Albert Hall. He's had two live at Royal Albert Hall albums. This is the 92 one. Um, but it's a bootleg. So this is kind of crazy. Like, it, it, it's a legitimate release on CD. And I was cataloging it in Discogs, and it says that the vinyl is a bootleg, and it won't let you sell it. And, you know, it'll let you catalog bootlegs on Discogs, but it doesn't let you sell them, which is fine. I didn't want to sell it anyway. And I was like, really? Like, it looks so perfectly real. And the album itself with that cover art is on Nick Cave's website, but it doesn't mention the CD. And I almost want to write to his red right hand and be like, hey, is this real or is this a bootleg? And also, how do you feel about bootlegs? But I'm not going to do it. But so that's kind of weird. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know why I'm bootleg. I feel, I feel bad, but it's awesome. There's a great, great live set. It has about six songs more than the CD, too. So that's rock and roll. Uh, so that about all of that when I went to school kids records. So this is why I don't go to record stores. And then I got home and there was like, I had made a shipment order from rough trade, which in my defense, I used to live two blocks away from that rough trade in, in Williamsburg. And I went there like every weekend and Emma didn't notice and I didn't get shit for it. But now that it comes in the mail, she's like, I can't believe you got another order. I'm like, it's cause you see the packages. You didn't notice before I went in the morning when you were asleep and filed them before you, <laughs> which is not a defense. that really works very well. <laughs> But uh, that was awesome. So I got, um, what came in that? Let's see. 
Oh, the Mark Kozlik Petra Hayden album, which I ordered before I heard it, and then it's not a particularly one of my favorite Mark Kozlik albums, but it's on gorgeous blue vinyl, double vinyl, and also, you know, I'm a, you know, like I think I ragged on him last week about it when he was like, I'm an outsider, I'm like Bill Hicks, but upon second listening, I'm kind of like, you know, you are kind of an outsider now because you were big in the '90s. Doesn't really mean you're not just a total outsider weirdo now. He's almost like a Jandek now in a way. I, mean, I don't want to defend the guy or anything because his lyrics are insane some of the time, but I guess I did write a song about him. <laughs> so, well I mentioned him in a song so anyway I got that and what else came in the mail I must be missing something I don't know there's too much man uh, and then from Amazon I got the volume 3 of the Trent Reznor Atticus Ross soundtrack with a watchman that was pretty interesting because the first two both were designed as in-universe albums, right? The the first one was a weird album by a weird band called Sons of a Pale Horse, which is a band influenced by the band Pale Horse in the Watchmen comic. And the album's called Book of Rorschach. It's basically like they're like conspiracy theorists, kraut rockers, and, and then had like fake liner notes and all this stuff and a fake lineup in the band. I think I talked about this. And then the second one was the American Hero Story soundtrack. And the third one is as if Nine Inch Nails existed in the Watchmen universe and they were overly influenced by the existence of Dr. Manhattan and the fact that he's missing, so they made a whole album about it, which is very plausible, right? It's kind of cool, but fascinatingly, and on the liner notes, it says this version of Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, Peter Murphy from Bauhaus, and Pete Christofferson from Coil. And they're not, I mean, the music sounds like the rest of the soundtrack music, so I don't know if they're actually on it or if it's like some weird announcement that there is a impending release of Nine Inch Nails that includes Peter Murphy and Pete Christopherson, because I am totally a-okay with that. They've both worked with Nine Inch Nails in the past, but like, I don't know, it was really weird. Did he call them up and get permission? Can you pretend to be my band with me in an alternate universe? I have so many questions. So many questions about that one. Uh, yeah, let's see. I think... I feel like there's something else in the... Hold on a second. I'm going to go look. Okay, I checked. And as an aside, if you're a two-factor authentication kind of person, I strongly recommend the security key. They're the best, man. You put them in, you forget they're even there. Mine had fallen out because Jane pulled it out. And I was like, oh, right. Actually, every time I log into my Gmail, it's 2FA because of this awesome security key here. It rules. Anyway, uh, it also came... I also ordered... The new Tinder Sticks album, which I've already talked about, No Treasure But Hope, it's a great record, uh, beautiful, clear vinyl version of that, and very excitingly, the Until the End of the World soundtrack. I did not know this was released on vinyl as part of, uh, in tandem with Criterion, who finally released the five-hour version of Until the End of the World by Vim Vendors. It's one of my favorite movies. It has a five-hour cut. Saw the original cut in the theater long ago. It's been one of my favorite movies and favorite soundtracks forever. And I've actually owned the Italian DVD of the five-hour version of Until the End of the World that came out in, I'm going to say, like, 99-ish. I I know it was right around then because I threw a viewing party for it when I lived on Brookline Ave in Cambridge. So I'm going to say, like, 99, 2000, maybe 2001. Actually, yeah, no, uh, 2001 or two. But, uh, so now, you know, I got the Blu-ray. I have to check and see if it's in the iTunes store. I do have a Blu-ray player, but, you know, I already have it ripped. So, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I was very, very excited about that. And in tandem with that, they finally reissued the soundtrack on vinyl. And so I got that. It's just one of my favorite soundtracks. It's really great. The score is by, what's his name? <laughs> Graham Ravel, formerly of SPK. Also did the Crow soundtrack, a bunch of other soundtracks since then. It's great. It's great. And then the last vinyl I got was the new Sheila Devine album 
which is a Boston band of some renown. And a friend of mine is the main guy in that band named Aaron Perino. He's an ex-barbarian. And his new album is fantastic. It is just... Uh, <laughs> it's an album that's lyrically been speaking to me unlike more than any album in quite some time. It is called The Beginning of the End is Where We'll Start Again, which is also the name of the first song. And my God, I love that record so much. I mean, it's funny, Sheila Divine were a very, very popular band in Boston when I lived there. And I saw them a few times and I, you know, I never really loved them. But it's because I never really listened to the records and I didn't listen to the lyrics. They're musically, they're way more poppy than I was into back then. Uh, when Aaron went on to start another band called Dear Leader, it was a little bit more rock. And I went to one of the first Dear Leader shows. I was like, oh yeah, this is much more of my own. I've always been a Dear Leader fan, but uh, never really a Sheila Divine fan. And then when this one came out, I was like, well, it's all Aaron. What am I, what's this arbitrary distinction? And I listened to it on Spotify and I was like, oh my God whatever about the music, man, it's good music. Don't get me wrong. Like I've changed, <laughs> but I was like, lyrically, it's like exactly just good old Asian rocker music, aging rocker, not Asian rocker. There's a song about having a furnished basement with all your dreams in it. And I was like, listening to that when I was like dusting all those shelves in my library in the basement. I was like, Oh my God, this song really speaks to me. And that same song talks about a road trip in 93 and 93 was like the year I went on this big road trip with my best friend friend and my sister and we passed through St. Louis and saw my ex-girlfriend and it was this big debacle and it was like horrible and and uh you know I was thinking about it when I listened to the song and I was like okay and then it got me thinking like in my head on that same road trip is when I saw that same ex-girlfriend again in San Francisco when she lived on the hate street in this mirrored floor-to-ceiling mirrored drug den built like apartment and I was like well it couldn't be the same road trip because we saw her I saw her in in St. Louis and then you know we got in a big fight and then I didn't ever see her again so when did I see her in San Francisco in this drug den thing I don't know it was really a mystery maybe I did see her again because I know you know it's all fuzzy because there was no like phone cell phones right like we made up from that like uh, argument in St. Louis but it was really hard to do because I was on the road and she was staying at a friend's house and like you had to call like whatever permanent cell phone or send letters or whatever permanent address so she would always have to call my mom and get like my new address <laughs> and you know and and she, like, her parents had passed, so, like, I couldn't really call her parents, and, like, it was just, you know, somehow we did get in touch with each other again at some point in the 90s, and, like, we made up from that argument, and I think maybe then I went to see her in San Francisco on another road trip or something, but I don't, I never really could piece all that together, and, you know, I might actually, like, message her, we're friends now, we've made up, and, you know, we, we don't hang out, she lives in Europe, but, uh, you know, she's on Facebook so I can work it out. But anyway, the whole point is that like that song about road trips in 93, I was just like, Oh my God, this is so, and then it also talks about like getting a job to pay the bills. And I was like, well, yeah, not only did I know exactly how he feels about that. I was his job. He worked for me. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a rough man. It's a rough album. It's a rough album, but it's really good. I strongly recommend it. Uh, that's really like, I didn't really, uh, did I listen to Yeah. Since, okay. So last podcast, I was finishing up the to listen queue for the year to get through all those. So I talked about all those. And since then, everything new to listen to, I've just been adding into a new to investigate queue and it's got a bunch of stuff in it, but it's really, it's my January project, new Haim, new death cab, new Fionn Reagan, some uh, Claro, Carano and danger mouse. Actually, I already listened to that. That's a reissue on the new golden Dawn orchestra, black mountain toy, but Evie Sands. I want to know more about Evie Sands. 
who's a woman that uh, Chip Taylor used to write out a bunch of music for. Chip Taylor. Okay, there's an interesting thing. Emma was really into Angel. Angel in the Morning was on. She was asking me about it. She's like, who wrote this? I'm like, Chip Taylor for Merrily Rushing the Turnabouts. And she's like, who's Chip Taylor? I'm like, he's the guy that wrote Wild Thing for the Trogs. And I was like, actually, I feel like there was somebody that did Angel in the Morning before Merrily Rush. So we looked it up, and it was this Evie Taylor who he wrote a bunch of songs for. And uh, I was like, oh, I should really listen to her. She never got big, but she has some good songs, so that's in my queue. But also, Chip Taylor, who wrote Wild Thing and Angel of the Morning, is John Voight's brother. How's that for weird? That's a weird thing you didn't see coming, right? Dad was a Hungarian immigrant, became a professional golfer, but not a rich one. They were not rich kids growing up, but somehow Chip Taylor and John Voight. That's pretty strange. Uh, yeah, and then I think that's it for music. I will mention that I have been listening to that Lana Del Rey album a lot. I listened to it on repeat an entire day, day one of the dusting. I think it might be my favorite album of the year. I haven't done any of my end of the year stuff yet. That I don't, I'm, I'm a stickler. I wait till the end of the year, especially for movies, because I'm watching so many movies in the last week of the year. But uh, music, books, I'm waiting. I do it all in the first week of January after nobody cares. But, you know, I like to wait. And, you know, you probably even revise because a lot of the movies... Well, we'll get to that in the movie section. Anyway, not knowing your lists yet. We'll talk about that next podcast. They should be all done. Ooh, this is going to be a long one. I apologize. Don't be mad at me. Take it in, take it in uh, segments if you have to. Anyway, TV. Uh, hey, the president got impeached. <laughs> I won't say I watched all of it, all the hearings. Uh, I watched a lot of them. I know I've mentioned this. I wanted to watch enough that I could say I watched it in 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 the future and uh, to be able to tell my daughter I watched it. I did watch the house vote. That felt really good. I took pictures of the screen and everything like that. Um, I'm very happy it happened. I, told, I, I posted on Facebook, one of my rare political posts on Facebook. <laughs> I've really learned my lesson since the last election. I was like, look, you know, I had these friends in high school and they told me once they're like, yeah, you know, it's really kind of sucks that a 50% and a zero are both F's because I work hard for that 50% and I want some recognition. And that's how I feel about impeachment, right? Like America has two big tests right here and we're almost certain to fail the second test, which is the conviction. But, and that would be a 0%. So that, you know, if we didn't impeach, we would fail both tests. So we'd get a 0%. If we impeach and then we don't convict, we pass one test and fail the other one, which means we get a 50%. They're both Fs. We're still failing as a country, but a 50% is better than a zero. And I remember teachers telling students, like my friends that had that problem, they'd be like, you know, 50% is still better than a zero. It's still good. And, you know, honestly, there should be Gs and Hs. in grading but uh yeah i'll take a 50 percent better than zero i also think pelosi's pretty brilliant i watched that press conference live that's kind of finishing up my my impeachment sort of rush when pelosi gave that press conference where she said that she would decide when she felt like sending over the articles to the senate and not before and <laughs> nobody saw that coming man i do not subscribe to either uh school of Pelosi watchers thinking that she's the most brilliant strategic genius in the world or that she's terrible and awful. I fall in the somewhere in the middle. Uh, but uh, that one, man, that was brilliant and I did not see it coming. So hats off to Nancy for that one. Hey, maybe I'll write a new song. Hats off to Nancy, the, the, the sister song, the hats off to Bobby. 
Uh, anyway, uh, we were watching Adventure Time is our primary thing. We're not watching a lot of TV right now, so it's Adventure Time is a big thing for us because we watch it. You know, we can watch it with the baby if she's playing and not paying attention to the TV. We can watch it like they're only eleven minutes long. So we finished the fifth season, which is the really long season, fifty-two episodes, and now we're in the sixth season, which is the other pretty long season, and that's forty-something episodes. And then the season's radically reduced to like twenty episodes each. So we're trying to just plow through the two long seasons. I really want to finish all of Adventure Time before the HBO new Adventure Time comes out. So that's kind of our goal on that. We watched SNL with Eddie Murphy. That was pretty great. I am old enough to remember all those old Eddie Murphy characters, but I did not watch a lot of SNL back then. Um, but I remember Buckweed. I remember, you know, Gumby. But I, you know, it's funny. <laughs> really, chiefly, all that did was remind me of when I lived in Alaska. I think it was my third semester of college. I went back up to Alaska and they stayed there for a semester because I was in love with this girl, except for I forgot to tell her. It was really stupid. But, uh, and so I'd go to class in Alaska at University of Alaska Fairbanks and I was like so mad because everybody, I'd get back to school on Monday and everybody would be like, did you watch Saturday Night Live? I'm like, no, I didn't watch Saturday Night Live. I was out. I have a life. I'm sophisticated. And I had a journal. It was, uh, well, I've always had a journal. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But uh, I would write in my journal. I'd be like, I can't understand why everybody's so obsessed with Saturday Night Live. And you know, they ask if you've seen it and you said no, and they, they think they're doing you a public service by telling you what's in it. And I was, I was very, very snooty about Saturday Night Live back then. So watching the Eddie Murphy one, he was very good, uh, but uh, it really reminded me of how, how much of a, like a elitist asshole I was about Saturday Night Live in the early 90s. So I'm glad I snapped out of that. Yay me. I'm way more boring and normal and not elitist now, right? Woohoo! finished up the watchman i think that might have been a perfect show and you know i really didn't like lost i quit it in disgust way before everybody else quit it in disgust <laughs> well no, i think a lot of people quit when i quit which when they had to turn the crank and we have to go back i was like no i'm done screw that uh and you know that could happen if the watchman went on for three four or five seasons but that one season that was a perfect episode perfect season of television it was so good. And, uh, you know, I wonder how it'll age, how it'll stand on rewatch. Um, my friend Ingo had rewatched most of it already, and she said there's a lot of stuff you you notice now that you didn't notice, like the repeated allusions to eggs and a lot of stuff with Angela's husband. But, uh, you know, and how will it age on the racial questions? How will it age on, like, the, the political tensions and the analogs to our current political times? I feel like some of that's pretty timeless. And then, you know, I reread the comic, and it, it ages very well. Mostly, you do have to explain what the cold war was all about to younger readers but uh I, I wonder but nonetheless it was near perfect and i was found it very 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 rewarding i look forward to more down the road still watching the mandalorian because god bless half hour tv shows uh i think it's great i'm still really into it i think there came one came out yesterday and i didn't watch it i gotta check that there's one more i think uh didn't really need the the tie-in to star wars but I watched the Mandalorian episode tie-in after Star Wars, so it didn't really, it was not really relevant to me. But uh, yeah, it's it's a good show. It's a good time. It's it's fun, and we are watching the Expanse, but we've only watched the first two episodes because they're an hour long, and it's very hard to watch an hour long show after we get Jane to bed. So you know, it's a special treat. Also, we're focusing on movies, as we'll talk about next. So the interesting thing about movies here, turning to movies. Every year at this time on my vacation, I plow in as many movies as I can. And I've had this podcast for a year, more than a year now. So you know about this, but, uh, 
<laughs> I just assume I got all my listeners on episode one and nobody's ever joined it since. <laughs> but <laughs> so, you know, I, what I do is I look at year end list, the golden globe nominations are out by now. And I'm always like, I've seen about half of them. And then a lot of them, there's a few that I missed earlier in the year. And then there's a lot that are coming out in the fall and in, in the winter. And then I got a seat, right? So it's a sort of like act and there's always a few on the list that came out in like mid year and you can watch on iTunes or something. And there's one of those right now. I missed the lighthouse. As you may remember, I was very upset. I had a lot of travel to do. I couldn't go. It was only in the theater here for a week. So I haven't seen the lighthouse, but it's now on iTunes. So I will watch it today or tomorrow. Um, but I will say that this year is the first year that several of the golden globe nominations are streaming only. I mean, specifically Netflix, but also some on Amazon and things like that, that uh, if they did have theatrical runs, it was one or two days in one or two cities and they didn't make it here at all. And we have good, good, good cinemas here. And so it's really interesting, right? So the two popes, uh, marriage story, uh, Dolomite is my name. I didn't even realize that was uh, Netflix. I would have watched that months ago. I've been waiting for it to show up in the theater here. And the report. So we, I can watch all of those at home along with the things that have come out that I missed, uh, specifically the lighthouse. So it's actually kind of weird this year. Normally I have to plow through these things in the theater and I'm like sort of looking at each movie and I'm like, okay, I can see that one here. I can see this one. Like I had to go to another like 30, 40 miles away to see the Peter Jackson World War One movie last year. Uh, but this year it's kind of like also a lot of the movies aren't coming out like until January here, which is very frustrating. They told me 1917 was coming out on Christmas. It's not coming here until January 10th now. So the movies in the theater this week, there's still a lot of garbage in the theater. I mean, you know, well, not garbage, but, or I've seen it. Cats is still in the theater here. And there's a lot of kids movies, the Spies in Disguise and Frozen and Jumanji. I'll probably go see Jumanji, but uh, I won't watch Frozen without my wife and daughter. And uh, although we did see the first one in the theater, but that was before we had a kid. So whatever. Uh, and Spies in Disguise, I just don't care about. And the rest I have seen now. So it's kind of like, uh, well, there's not a lot to see in the theaters. I could go to the theater because I love going to theaters. But also I could watch something really good at home, something new. And so it's kind of a dilemma now that I've plowed through the ones that are just released or about to leave the theater. So to that end, I did watch The Farewell on streaming. That's one of the examples of that. Critically acclaimed. But it's on, Actually, that was an Amazon one, right? That was just streaming to begin with. So we watched that. That was great. Uh, I love Aquafina. She's one of my favorite actresses. She's hilarious. But I thought that they, they directed her a little poorly and she was a little too cranky the whole movie. I mean, I know that was part of the resolution at the end, but I, I just, you know, I think she needed to just lighten up a smidge. But that's just me. And oh, God, that sounded sexist. I don't mean it that way. But it was a great movie. Uh, and then the twist at the end is amazing. Strongly recommend. And then, of course, Star Wars. All right. Uh, I'm going to take a, a little quick sip of water here i'll be right back before we delve into star wars this is gonna be a whole podcast on its own i'm sorry this is gonna be so long today all right i will do this without spoilers i have not seen star wars twice i saw it on thursday and friday we went to the thursday opening show uh, we always like to see the first show got a little screwed because another theater then did a 5 p.m showing when we were at the 7 p.m showing i was a little irked by that but we have a tradition, our nearby local cinema, the Lumina, uh, we're members of now. It got bought by the neighbors, and it's you know it's kind of a cooperative thing now, so we like to support it. It's only got four screens, and it only does mainstream movies, so most of the time I don't go there. But when it's a big movie, I like to go to the Lumina. So we saw the 7 p.m. showing there, and then I saw a 9 a.m. showing the next day. <laughs> 
I was very, very cranky before I went to the first showing. I was like, this is not going to be good. I do not support the decision to... So I watched one trailer. I watched the first trailer. And so I will spoil anything that was in the first trailer. I did not watch trailers two and three. I read somewhere later. I was like, oh, they spoiled somebody. I didn't see any of that, and I won't spoil that for you. But um, the first trailer does have Palpatine's laugh in it. So I was like, oh, my God, if they bring Palpatine back, that's just so dumb. And, like, this is going to be so bad. And they're using, like, old Carrie Fisher footage, and it's going to be bad. And, and like, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, uh, and, you know, J.J. Abrams is responsible for Lost. <laughs> Is <laughs> anybody? Let's not forget. And I was just like, oh my God, I don't know, man. And I was just cranky. And I went to the movie. I was like, it's going to be bad. They're going to ruin my childhood. It's bad. It's impossible to do. And then the, the, like, the crawl came up. And I was like, oh God. And I rolled my eyes. I was like, this is bad. <laughs> and then the free, you know, the pacing's a little weird in the beginning. And I was like, it's confusing. And it's like kind of hard, quick pace and a little relentless. And I was like, I don't know. And then there's this like scene where there's like, they put a major character in peril and I was like they just killed off that major character I'm going to walk out of this theater right now and that was the worst it got and Emma was like you need to calm down dude (laughs) and then within five minutes I don't even remember what it was but the thing happened and I looked at it I was like this movie is going to be all right and I just stopped and I relaxed and I watched the movie and I was like yeah this is all right and I got out and I was like you know, the, the analogy I've been using the whole time is it's basically like Rod Rosenstein, right? <laughs> Nobody knows about this analogy because they're not as much of a political junkie as I am. But uh, Rod Rosenstein, at one point, you know, Trump was always threatening to fire him. And he said, I can land this plane. He was pleading to keep his job by saying, oh, don't worry, he can sideline the Mueller report. He can get all this done and keep Trump in office. And he did. He landed the plane. <laughs> I mean fuck that guy for landing the plane but like he landed the plane so i'm like this is like jj abrams man he was like rod rosenstein he landed the plane he did what needed to be done it was uh you know many of the obstacles were of his own making by bringing back the emperor for example and uh smith so i don't you know i imagine there seems to be some disagreement between him and ryan johnson about ray for example so some of the obstacles he had to deal with with that but and then of course carrie fisher dying and then I see a lot of people talk about Endgame and how it's no Endgame. And I'm like, okay, well, let's think about that, right? This is a trilogy. Like, it's a trilogy of trilogies. And I was told when I was a child it was a trilogy of trilogies. And, yeah, J.J. Abrams doesn't get to go to Kathleen Kennedy and say, uh, yeah, I could, I could wrap this up, but I just really think I need about five hours and we need to break it into two movies. This is not Twilight, man. You don't get Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Part 2, man. It is just Episode 9, and you got to do it all in one movie. So the Russo brothers, you know, they just, like, they could just spread it out. And this movie, I guarantee you, like, what plot holds do exist some of them were intentional he left things open-ended not with the skywalker saga but with like some of the side characters some people had less big parts than i would have liked but uh you know they didn't say they're not making any star wars films anymore they said they're ending the skywalker to saga so it's okay to have some of the other open uh, open plot points but you know, you, he had to do this in one film and there was a lot to do. And the woman that the film was supposed to be about, the actress died, which also didn't happen to the Russo brothers. And so, like, he did a good job, you know? There are some things that I wish they, they, they kind of did self-inflicted. There's a major character from one of the previous films that appears in a novelization. It's called Resistance Rising. I mentioned it to you. And uh, 
that book takes place between the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker. And it's about sort of explaining how Leia gets the resistance, at least on a slightly better footing than the way they are left at the end of the last Jedi. And they are on a slightly better footing in this film, not by much, but a little bit better. And that book sort of delves into it, but they bring back a major character. And I was like, is he going to be in the movie? And he wasn't. And I was very annoyed because I'm like, why was that dude not in the movie? Why did you write a whole book about her meeting up with him and getting him back? And then not putting that. That was very frustrating. Uh, but then another guy that they got in that movie or in that book is in the film, and everybody noticed that because he's in Star Wars Episode Four. Although another character dies, just a minor one that's you've seen in the movies. I mean, in the background, you probably don't even know his name. But there are whole books about that dude, and then he just died in the movie, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty painful. <laughs> Thank you for getting me emotionally invested in that dude across the last six years in books, only to kill him off with barely even a notice in the movie. Awesome. But, you know, you got to do it. But it is kind of part of the tension. It's like, okay, are we supposed to read these books? Are they the expansion of the universe for people that really care? Or are they just trying to make me buy more stuff? And that is a problem. Like, they have this vaunted story group at Lucasfilm, but... And it does all tie together really well, but sometimes stuff like that, I'm just like, no, man. No, you're either all in or you're not, right? Like uh, Harry Potter, when they made book seven or the seventh film, they brought in stuff that just never showed up in the movies and that they needed, like uh, Aberforth uh, Dumbledore in the mirror, right? Never explain it. It's all in the books. They just don't explain it, but it's in the movie and they give it its proper due in the movie. And if you don't know that because you didn't read the books, that's your problem. And so the story group needs to do that or, or they need to shit or get off the pot. They need it to matter or just accept that it's marketing and it can't have it both ways. And that really bothers me and I think the other lesson here I wrote a little essay on Facebook about this is that I think the lesson for Disney is this I think that like we don't talk enough about the the producers of these different things like Kevin Feige versus Kathleen Kennedy and some people will talk a little bit about that Kathleen Kennedy definitely didn't have as tight of a narrative grip as Kevin Feige does and I think there's some good there and there's some bad there and she also let directors do a little bit more like she hired some auteurs a lot of it didn't work out like the guys on the solo and uh you know, she took those risks and they let her take them, but it's a different approach. So like we always talk about the directors, but we should probably talk about the producers a little bit. But I think the big difference is that when Disney bought these two properties, Lucasfilm versus Marvel, the number of fans that existed in the world were exponentially different, right? Like there's probably a million, two million Marvel comics fans in America. And there were probably a hundred million people in America that had strong opinions about star Wars and like just sort of the, like buying a film properties versus literature properties opened them up to having fans it felt like they needed they had a say a lot more like when iron man one came out there's probably a couple hundred dudes that like read all the iron man comic books and took issue with this or that but there are now a million people that in their mind or millions of people tens of millions of people that in their minds now robert downey jr was iron man and that's just the way it is i didn't know who thanos was i didn't care about any of these people i didn't read the comics and you didn't either well one of you might have but that's my point we all watched star wars we all had opinions and i think it's very very risky for disney to be buying film properties like that and i don't think they would do it again they did buy Pixar and they bought Lucasfilm and they bought them both at the same time. And if you were reading like stock analyst grapes at the time, it was about how Disney's IP was aging, that nobody cared about Mickey Mouse anymore. And there's no reason to go to Disneyland and the theme parks are a big part of their revenue of their stock price. And so they rapidly bought Pixar, Marvel and Lucasfilm and Pixar is kind of an anomaly. It's got a lot of movies, but it's not one universe. And, uh, you know, they have a deep creative bench. It's pretty crazy. But, uh, and then, you know, 
Marvel had a lot of great characters, but it was comics, maybe only a million, two million fans. And then Star Wars, which is like this giant pop culture phenomenon. And I'm trying to think of it'd be like now them buying like, I don't even know. I mean, like, you know, Lord of the Rings. I don't think they should do that. You know, that's not even a good one. Well, I guess it is the movies. But anyway, I think that those are the sort of other ways to think about Star Wars versus Marvel. And uh, all that said, doing that, like J.J. Abrams was not never the problem. He did a good job. Ryan Johnson was never the problem. He did a good job. There's some plot holes in both. There's more in Last Jedi than there are in this one. But they 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 they, they, they wrapped it up. It's a decently satisfying conclusion, and I will probably go see it again tomorrow now that I've said all of this because there aren't any other movies to see until we go see Little Women and I'm probably going to see that on Monday because uh, you heard it here first but when the box office results come out this week I think Little Women is going to be number two after Star Wars because every showing here has been sold out for four days and it's crazy people are obsessed with Little Women <laughs> so I'm going on Monday just because it's I, I like going in an empty theater and sitting close to the screen and it's been very hard to do this week Whew. Okay, so... Oh, one last thing in Star Wars. <laughs> There's a whole Ahsoka Tano thing if you're into Rebels, and uh, I'm just going to put that out there. If you stay for the credits, you'll see what I mean, and we can talk about that later or offline. If you're a Star Wars nerd, feel free to text me anytime. <laughs> All right, so then after that, I went and saw Ford versus Ferrari. I picked that because it's been out for a few weeks, and I wanted to see it before. I'm, I'm positive this is the last week it's going to be in the theater. I thought it was very, very good. James Mangold has an obsession with a very certain type of soundtrack that worked very great for the American parts of the movie, but not so much for the European Le Mans parts of the movie. Uh, Christian Bale was fantastic. Matt Damon was fantastic. The movie was really fun. It, like I, I got the feels only in one part. It did suffer from the whole like suffering wife thing that they do in these movies. I think there's only one female character in the whole movie, and she's you know, a tragically suffering wife. <laughs> so that was problematic, but you know, ignoring that uh pretty well done b plus b plus a minus movie and definitely a good time to watch especially on a big screen the racings and the cinematography the racing stuff is fantastic uh i watched uncut gems two days ago oh my god i have never been so uncomfortable in a film it, i mean adam sandler is fantastic don't get me wrong and i think the film is kind of amazing i've never seen anything like it i have not squirmed so much in a movie that I can think of an eight. I mean, well, I've squirmed in home viewings of movies, but like in a theater and alone, like when I go to movies alone, I try to just sit there and passively and like, you know, I'm a cool guy, but I was just like squirming in my seat through that whole film. <laughs> oh my God. What a relentless, insane onslaught of a film. Strongly recommended if you're like into uncomfortable cinema. Uh, I don't know if I could have finished it if I was at home too. Jesus. Oh God. That was, that was intense. And then yesterday I went to bombshell which was way better than it's getting press about and it deserves a lot more. And I think people are just ignoring it because of the, they're sick and tired of the me too thing, which is a real shame because it's a very compelling film, both from the me too point of view. And also just the acting is superb. Nicole Kidman is great. Uh, they're all, just, I mean, and the, the, the the sort of secondary cast, like Rob Delaney and Kate McKinnon, are just very, very good. John Lithgow is Roger Ailes. It's kind of a little bit problematic because I love John Lithgow. And occasionally at times I'd be like, I'm rooting for this loathsome man because I love John Lithgow, but I, I generally could let that go. Um, Charlize Theron as Megan Kelly is dead on. She's just amazing. Uh, yeah, it's great. I, I recommend Bombshell. People, you know, it's not doing too well at the box office, but 
it's a solid film, man. It's a solid film. It could probably be a home viewing, so I mean, you could wait till it's on video, but yeah, it's pretty great. And then last night, Emma and I watched The Two Popes on Netflix. I am profoundly sad I did not get to see that in the theater. There are scenes in that movie I would have died to see in a theater. It is a beautiful film. But we had to watch it on Netflix, and uh, it's great. The acting's great. Uh, Jonathan Price is fantastic. It's good to see him now as the titular head of two different religions. For those of you who don't know, he was the High Sparrow in Game of Thrones as well. But uh, yeah, it was great. Anthony Hopkins, Jonathan Price, just fantastic. Wow, what a great movie. I stayed up late reading weird papal shit. (laughs) So that's it for movies. I was going to see The Lighthouse today after I did this podcast, but I don't think I'm going to have time before Jane wakes up. So maybe Lighthouse tomorrow. No, maybe Lighthouse if I can watch, convince Emma to watch it at night, and then Star Wars tomorrow, and then Little Women Monday, and then probably Jumanji Tuesday, and then Home on Wednesday, and then something, hopefully we'll do an early release on Thursday, and then the new batch of movies will come out Friday. Uh, yeah, okay. Books, I've barely been reading books. I've still been reading uh, Complexity, A Guided Tour by Melanie Mitchell. I, I'm not liking it. I don't care. I don't care about complex systems. I don't buy a lot of it. Um, my friend Noah recommended the book to me and it's one of his favorite books. So I feel a little bit bad about that. I loved the first half and I'm in these like sort of like parts that are like, this is what my thesis was. And I'm like, I don't care what your thesis was. I get it. And then they're like, this is why we think that biology can compute. And I'm like, okay, but everything you just said could be done mechanically. And I don't know. It just, I'm probably wrong when I say that, but the book didn't tell me why I'm wrong in this very logical sort of counter argument. And so I know I liked it so much. I'm, I'm finishing it and I'm trying to get out of this headspace where I don't like it. And I think once I plow through the chapter I'm in, I will like it some more. I love the stuff around Stephen Wolfram. I thought that was very interesting. I had sort of forgotten about Stephen Wolfram and new kind of science. It was good to hear about that stuff and check in on what the scientific community thinks of his new kind of science. I enjoyed that. Uh, I think part of it might be just because I'm taking too long to read it, like because I'm not reading a lot because I've been going to bed early uh, or drinking with Nick when he was here. So. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, so that will be the last book for the year. I think I could probably finish it before the end of the year. And assuming I do, this will be the 54th book of the year, which means I hit my goal of one book a week for the year. That's great. I'll put out the full list uh, as soon as January rolls around. And I did succeed in my goal of over half the books being by women. 28 of them were by women, which is very close, and I'm a bit appalled by that. There was a period in the middle where it was a little bad. Uh, I also started the year reading Gotham, which is like a 1,500-page book, and it took all of January most of February. So I'm doubly proud of actually hitting the weekly goal. I've been telling myself all year that I would start a long book year, and I think I'm not going to start right off the bat with long books, but I am this year going to read War and Peace and... Oh, that David Foster Wallace book. Everybody tells me I should read Infinite Jest. I will read both of those this year because it bothers me. I haven't read them. But other than that, I'm just going to keep at it. Oh, oh, no, that's not true. I bought My Struggle Book 1. <laughs> Did I talk about this? Did I tell you about this? I had this dream. In the dream, it was uh, 
Well, I don't remember either one of their names. <laughs> My Michel Hellenbach, you know that guy, the French sort of uh, like uh, like racist writer that they all love. I don't think he's racist. They just get mad at him because he doesn't like Islam. And Carl uh, Ovesgard or whatever his name is, the guy that writes the My Struggle books. I had this dream that I was hanging out with them both, and I was like, oh God, okay, I'll read one book by each one of them. And I feel like My Struggle I need to read because I'm a journal diarist, and I've been obsessed with diaries and journals. And I read the Anais Nin books and I read that ongoingness by Sarah Manguso about another compelling journalist, journaler. So I feel like, you know, if I'm going to continue this shtick of being an obsessive journalist my whole life, I should probably read the other famous journal, right? I'm not happy about it, but I'm going to do it. So those are some of the things I got to read next year. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, it's not really book related, but it's kind of book related. Uh, I don't know if you've been following the 1619 project by the New York times, or if you've been following this sort of like quote unquote controversy of these four white historians that like said it was inaccurate and they didn't just, you know, argue with sort of the point they argued, they said that it was, uh, incorrect and they, they demanded corrections. And then I read this great article about that today in the Atlantic. That was kind of like the whole thing is not really about corrections it's about your point of view on racism in America and slavery. And these are factually correct. And, uh, it's interesting because I did read a lot of the 1619 project. And then when the, I read, you know, about a month and month or two ago when the letter came out, I read the letter and I read their response to it. And I was like, yeah, they're right. And that, those complainers, those, those historians are wrong. And, uh, it occurred to me, I should mention to you guys, because like, Hey, the whole thing is very fascinating. And if you can find that article in the Atlantic today, it's great. But the reason that I know that the people in the 1619 project are right. And these historians are actually incorrect is because of the books I've read this year, right? In their response, they specifically point out these truths by Jill Lepore, which as you know, I just read and that, that wasn't the book. I remember even saying it on here. I was like, wow, man, I did not realize how much of America's history is colored by slavery and racism, which is true. But the, one of the big things that these historians are complaining that the 1619 project said was that one of the main reasons for the revolutionary war was slavery. And they're like, that is factually incorrect. And they're like, you know, they pointed out using Jill Lepore and some other references that it is not in fact, factually incorrect. But in my mind, one thing that did not get mentioned in this whole controversy that to me makes it very clear that it is correct. The racism was a huge part of it was in fact, reading Gotham at the beginning of the year, the history of New York, because the history of New York is really the history of finance, right? And the history of finance in New York talks a lot about slavery because the cotton producing South was a, were just big clients of the New York banks. And it's kind of like bankers. Now bankers now hold the political opinions of their clients. They, you know, bankers now, they're not, they're not necessarily most of, most of them don't have a billion dollars, right? But they're against taxing billionaires because their clients are billionaires. So they have to look like that because their clients expect them to. It was the same thing in New York and like the 1800s with slavery, the, uh, the New York bankers didn't want, you know, both with the civil war and with the revolutionary war, they didn't want these wars because it would upset their clients and they would upset, you know, the, the South was selling its cotton to the, to Europe and to, to England and the banks are financing the South. And if you like had a war, all of that would go away. And that is slavery. That is very much slavery influencing people's opinions on the war. And people don't talk about, you know, they're like, Oh, well, you know, the revolutionary war started in the Northeast. It had nothing to do with it. Yeah, it did start in new England. 
Uh, and even part of that, like, you know, I was talking to Emma about this, like the tea party, right? What was the tea party? They had their own tea in there. What are they throwing the tea? There? It was sh- taxes, taxes on what? Taxes on shipping, yeah, shipping. The whole thing with shipping is about cotton. It's about tariffs. It's about production in the continent versus England. And, and like, how much taxes are there? Even that is tinged by slavery. And so it's like, what are these dudes going on about? Like saying these are not major factors. <laughs> like read Gotham. It's obvious. Anyway, I thought that was very interesting that like, it's just sort of an illustration of like the books you read and it was a real world moment where the things I had read this year influenced my understanding of a current topic and it felt really good. It felt really good. I just thought I'd share that with you guys. Uh, work. Well, there's not much going on, which is kind of nice. This will be the one short segment in the podcast. Uh, our CCPA stuff is ready and launched and ready to go. So all the California privacy stuff that is due on January 1st, we're as ready as you can be, even though they're still changing the law and we don't know what's up, but I think we're ready. I feel good about it. And to that note, uh, I'm sure you have too, but I've been getting just endless. Your privacy policy has been updated emails from everyone, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> Everybody's updating for CCPA. And one fun thing is Apple's data download tool is awesome i strongly recommend checking it out i just did it it takes about five days for them to prepare your data i just grabbed mine right before this podcast i haven't looked at it yet but everybody will have a data download tool after today and i'm going to use the hell out of those things i'm very excited about it i downloaded my twitter and facebook data already but i'm going to do it again uh but do check out apples it's very well done i think ours is going to be well done too i feel pretty good about it but uh there's really you know they have a lot more data than we do so it's very 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 spectacular well done apple uh, projects really the only big project uh, I'm waiting for those guys in the Japanese translation of the Trek book I haven't heard anything from them in the last week or so I'm not working on LaGuardia because I'm on vacation and uh, really it's just all about the end of the year projects uh, the two big ones is 750 words my journal I write in seven, use 750words.com and uh, every year at the end of the year I take that I put it into a pages document and I format it I export a PDF and I sent it off to this company that prints me a book, two copies. One goes in my library on my journal shelf, and one goes into off-site storage, into a bin in my storage unit, so that the journal will always exist, even if you know we have an apocalypse. So I did that. It took about three days. I formatted the whole journal. Uh, I've gotten pretty, you know, I've got a lot of macros and hotkeys now, and so I can go through. It's about 750 pages for the year, but it only, I haven't done December yet. So, you know, uh, it's about 750 pages for the year. It'll probably be about 800 pages for the year. Uh, I feel good. I feel good. The journal project is continuing. And then photo sorting was the other thing that took up a lot of time. So for the whole year, I have these folders like there's one on my desktop that's called sort to sort and uh, it's a Dropbox folder with an alias on my desktop so it syncs and it's backed up and everything and it's on every desktop I have here at work everything and uh, whenever I'm done with shit on my desktop and I don't feel like filing it I just throw it in that folder and uh, then there's my camera uploads folder I use the Dropbox automatic camera backup so all my photos on my camera get backed up to my Dropbox into a folder called camera uploads and then, of course, there's the downloads folder that just sits there and piles up junk in it all day, all year, right? So at the end of the year, I go through all three of these folders, and I sort all the photos out and everything else, and I put it all in its proper folders. And I have all my folders, all my photos are sorted by folders. I do not use photo cataloging software. I do, 
I can use photo, photo cataloging software. I do have an aperture library that reads from the folder structure and Plex reads from the folder structure, but I almost never use them. I have folders for every event, for every wedding, for every trip, for every friend, for Jane. I have folders from photos with me and Jane, with Emma and Jane. I have hundreds and hundreds of folders. I have a whole scrapbook thing that's like all the weird pictures I download from the web, architecture and politics and memes and you know lighting and food and physical objects. And I just sort for days it took four days i just sorted there were four thousand photos three thousand things in the sort folder and one twelve hundred things in the download folder and it took four days to just I, I use spaces on my three monitors and i fill two monitors up with about 50 folders and i just scroll through the different spaces uh one space you know for different stuff work home files versus photos and i just sort 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 and i did it for three days and it was so therapeutic and it was the greatest thing and i do it once a year and i'm so happy it's done and so those kinds of end of the year projects are really all i've been working on i still have a bunch more i have a little to-do list each year i mean i have a a to-do list for the end of the year. And then once they're all done, I uncheck them all and I do it. It just sits there till the next year. Let's see. Where is it here? End of the year. There we go. Uh, so I still have to do all my charity donations and my tax stuff. Uh, the gigs to Google sheet. Yeah. Even though I, I, I keep a media list of all the media I consume in a year, but there's also a Google spreadsheet of every gig I ever went to. So at the end of the year, I take all the gigs out of the media list and put them into the spreadsheet. Uh, I check all my domain names to make sure I need to renew any of them. Uh, I use this app called Captio, C-A-P-T-I-O on my phone. That's just on my home screen of my phone. And all it does is email me and it emails me to two places to my inbox and also to an Evernote that just keeps all the Captios. And at the end of the year, I take, I go through that whole thing and parse them all. So if it was like a, a song idea or a lyric idea. I put it in the lyrics folder, things like that. And I got to parse all those captios. Uh, I got to post my media consumption list to medium. I'm waiting till the last day till January to do that. Then I got to deal with all my Spotify stuff. I take the starred folder of favorite tracks of the year. I move them into my master folder of all my favorite tracks and I make a best of 2019 folder. Then I clear out the to investigate folder and start new. Uh, I got to update my Goodreads, make sure it has all the books. I've been doing this meme on live journal. It's the only time I post on live journal each year now, and I've been doing it for about 20 years. So I got to keep doing that. Uh, I make a Jane book every year on her birthday. Ooh, that's tomorrow. I got to write to her tomorrow. Uh, every month on her birthday, I do my 750 words as a letter to Jane. And then I've been moving each one of those into a book. So when she turns 18, she'll have this book. That's like, you know, two, 300 pages of letters to her every month of her life. So I, I got to, at the end of the year, I move all 12 letters into that Scrivener book document. Uh, I got to start the camera uploads. I did that and I got to do the journals and I did that. So I'm making pretty good progress on my end of year list. Hopefully by the time I talk to you guys next week, I will be all done with it. cut a few things i'll move them to next time but thanks for bearing with me it's good to talk to you guys man you know holidays it's nice to have some friends to chat with about the things that are on your mind i hope you guys had a lovely holiday hope you have a good new year's text me on new year i'll tell you new year's tell me happy new year's we'll have a little chat and uh see you guys in the 2020s here we go we're in 20s we can do it right it's gonna be great <laughs>